From the Sammamish Independent, I'm Julia Gudis, your host, and you're listening to Indie On Air. It's Monday, January 25th, and this week I'm joined by Aditi Elkunchwar as we find out more about two new schools that are being planned near the south end of the city of Sammamish. The building of these schools has sparked very divergent views with city residents, with strong feelings both in support and against their construction. We'll look at why the Issaquah School District wants to build a new elementary and high school, speak to the superintendent and a student from Skyline to gather their viewpoints, and discuss City Hall's opposition to these schools being built. Join us to explore this really important issue for our community. Man, it is good to be back. How was your break, Aditi? Oh, it was nice. It felt great to be able to spend time with my family over the holidays. I feel you on that one, but it was weird to not travel or see any extended family this year. Actually, speaking of this year's absence of crowds, it's a rather distant memory to think back to when we had experienced crowds, especially within the crowded schools we used to attend in person before we all went remote. Many have raised concerns about overcrowding in the Issaquah School District, so we spoke to Kavya Yaramili, a junior at Skyline High School, to gain understanding of her experience. So Kavya, it's not a problem now since we aren't actually in school, but looking back to when you were, how crowded was it at Skyline? I'd say it was pretty crowded um, because I remember like at lunch, we would have these small tables, like the round ones, and we would actually have to bring a chair and sit down. And the tables were just so overcrowded. There were like 20 people at one table and you had to basically race to the cafeteria to just find a chair and like gather all the chairs, put backpacks on it or stuff like that, just to like save them for your friends. According to the Issaquah School District, student enrollment in 1990 was about 8,600 students. Back then, the district had just three high schools, three middle schools, and seven elementary schools. But by 2002, enrollment had climbed to 14,500 students. Today, nearly 21,000 students attend four high schools, five expanded middle schools, and 15 elementary schools. And much of that reflects the explosive population growth in this part of the east side. You know, it really begs the question, is the school district just trying to keep up with population growth? To accommodate the growth in students at Skyline, the school has been using portables. Kavya, tell us about your experience with portables. Do they provide an adequate learning environment? The learning environment is not much different from the actual classroom except it's much colder when it's like winter because the heating there it's like non-existent so we just have to like come bundled in like coats and shivering can't really pay attention to what the teacher's talking about other than that it's a pretty good learning environment because it's a big enough space for if if you have like a small class it's a big enough space like a french class or like a small advanced math class but the accessibility is a problem because I remember last year I had math on the third floor of Skyline and then I had to go like all the way to the other side of the school down the stairs to the basement then outside this like side door to get to like a portable and then once you come out of the portable you have to go all the way around the school come through like the cafeteria and you have to show your student IDs it was just like I was late for every class it was horrible. 
Wait a second, so you're saying both languages and core classes are having to be taught in portables? I feel like the science classes, like the labs and everything for physics, when you have to actually do stuff, I think those are inside the school, but I, yeah, I think like you said, health and everything is outside. Um, I'm not so sure about math because I, I remember my friend telling me she had a math class and a portable and I was just like, whoa, wait. But I'm pretty sure it's just like the smaller math classes, not like um, the IB math classes. The IB math classes are all inside, but I feel like the smaller classes are definitely outside. So is it all like the electives essentially and like the smaller classes that are outside? Yeah. To be honest, my biggest struggle isn't even what goes on inside the school. It's just getting to school on time, especially since Eastlake doesn't have enough parking spots for the amount of students we have. Last year, they even had to do a lottery for sophomores to be able to have a parking pass. 228th is also notorious for its traffic during school hours. So how's it like up towards Skyline? I think uh, seniors have um, a lot of parking spaces. Like if you're a senior and um, you have a car, then you're most likely going to get a parking spot. But um, juniors with cars, we have to actually raffle the parking spots out based on how many seniors have cars, like that many juniors will get like the rest of them. The parking lot is a problem. There's like just one road that goes into the parking lot and one road out. So like Skyline is in kind of like this weird place. It's like a, an intersection between like a library and like the actual school. And there's just that one like sliver that you have to like go into the parking lot. It's just like takes a while to get into the school. Yeah, I even know some people that waited 30 minutes before they even went to their car after school just because of the huge traffic jam of kids trying to get out of the parking lot. So taking all these factors into consideration, do you think that if half the Skyline students were to go to a different school, it would be beneficial? I mean, it would definitely have benefits and cons because I feel like a con would be there wouldn't be that much of a community. Um, but see, like in a bigger one, there's a lot of more people to talk to. There's a lot more people to get to know. I feel like one of the pros would be just, you know, having a nice, calm lunch and not like running to get first in the lunch line. There's not much one-on-one -on -one time with the teacher. Block is um, two classes combined. It's um, LA language arts and social studies. Because uh, like the two interact so much, they just basically have one class and two classes, just combine them and put them together. So like usually a class has like 30 people, so they just multiply that by two. But I feel like if half the people were going to go somewhere else, there would be like a lot more um, interaction with the students with like most of these classes. I mean, I feel like there's just two main things. One of them is definitely lunch because I rarely buy lunch at school anymore just because the line is so long. Like it takes me half an hour to get just through the line. If you're late, it's like lunch is already done by the time you get through like the line. Uh, and another thing is when you're getting through classes, especially on the stairs, it's really dangerous because there's just so many people. And like, for example, like when you're coming down the stairs, there's like this intersection between like the commons and then there's a stairs that's going down and there's just like a lot of people. I haven't gotten hurt, but I've almost slipped down the stairs like five times. <laughs> Thanks, Kavya. Aditi, I think from a student standpoint, we now have a pretty good idea of how bad things are over at Skyline. To better understand this from a district's perspective, we invited Ron Thiele, 
the superintendent of Issaquah School District, to Indianair. Stay with us. Indianair is a podcast that complements the new digital newspaper, the Sammamish Independent, which provides community news that you can use right here in the city of Sammamish, Washington. The Sammamish Independent is brought to you by a team of students and community leaders who are passionate about keeping our neighbors informed of what's going on in our community. Check out the paper at SammamishIndependent.com. Our next guest is Ron Thiele, the superintendent of the Issaquah School District. Welcome to Indian Air. To start off, Mr. Thiele, why does Issaquah School District want to build a new high school and elementary school? Just to kind of back up a little bit, you know, the, the conversation around these schools was part of the conversation we had in our school district community in 2015, um, leading up to eventually making a proposal for a school construction bond, and that bond passed um, in April of 2016. So why did we even have the bond? Why, why were we on this building these schools? Overcrowding in our schools is the biggest issue that led to the need for more schools. Um, I came to the Issaquah School District in 2001, and we had 13,000 students. Um, last year, we eclipsed 21,000 students. So we experienced 8,000 students growth in the first 19 years. Most years, we were among the fastest growing school districts in the state of Washington. Some years, we were, in fact, the fastest growing district in the state of Washington. At the time, um, Skyline High School and Issaquah High School were both two of the largest high schools and probably still are, I would imagine, today in the state of Washington. They were both in the top 10 for the largest high schools in the state, requiring a lot of portables, require, you know, just really taxing the facilities. People in our community, they don't like the fact that we have some of the largest high schools. And um, so a desire to right-size our schools. It sounds like the school is necessary to help with the massive population growth in the district. But what I'm curious about is why the Providence Heights location. Aren't there other places where this school can be built? Ultimately, it sits almost exactly in the middle between Skyline High and Issaquah High, my two most crowded schools that I need to get a lot of population out of. It is inside the urban growth boundary. In Washington state, there is something called the Growth Management Act. What the Growth Management Act attempts to do is stop suburban sprawl. It was, the idea was we didn't wanna um, populate all of our mountains and hillsides with housing developments. We wanted to concentrate our growth into cities and protect land outside of those cities. The Growth Management Act is a state law. Each county has to implement it and set the rules for how it's implemented. In 2012, King County made adjustments to how they implement the Growth Management Act that prevented school districts from building what's called inside the line where you can build and you have outside the line where you can't build. We didn't have to condemn anybody's houses or anything to get it. it, it it's almost perfectly situated for us to put a school there. You mentioned that students from both Issaquah and Skyline High School 
will be transferred to this new school, but how will this transition work? Let's say there's a senior that's gone to Skyline since freshman year. Would they suddenly be transferred to this new school? Where will these schools be drawing their student bodies from? We, the way we have historically done this, and as we are currently doing, we put a large committee together. School district administrators and support staff, community members, and then we have teams that support the, the Boundary Review Committee. Um, boundaries have, as you might imagine, have a lot to do with transportation. So essentially what you do is you look at your district. We know where every single house is, where every single child in the district lives and we build bus routes around it. And the goal here would be to, you know, this high school will be a little smaller than Issaquah High and Skyline. So I, I think we're thinking about around 1500 students, neighborhoods and chunks of the schools that are, um, would, would add up to approximately 750 kids from each school. Likely you would look geographically closest to the new school and you would create new boundaries. Historically, uh, and you don't have a lot of large comprehensive high schools getting built each year. They're big projects across the state. Um, my experience historically is you, you open a brand new high school without a senior class. You don't move students who have been in a high school for four years in their senior year. You let them finish out. Um, but probably your underclass your, your um, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, you would move them. My experience is that it can be somewhat traumatic, but honestly, mostly I watch students make the adjustment quite well. And we try to keep neighborhoods kind of together. So most students would know somebody who's going with them. Um, but that's how the process works. It's kind of a community-based process. Boundaries get established, bus routes get established. You try to do that well in advance so people have, you know, a year approximately of advance notice that that's where the move is going to happen. We wanted your point of view on concerns that have been raised by people in Sammamish. When looking at the plan, it looks like there will be one combined entry and exit point to accommodate the estimated 4,100 vehicle trips every weekday for both schools. So, Mr. Thiele, what we'd like to know is what are some mitigation efforts to ensure a smooth flow of traffic on 228th Avenue Southeast? Given the population growth in our area, I, I would anticipate 228th is going to change. We have traffic right now. I will lessen the traffic around Skyline High School when I take 750 kids out of that school, correct? I will lessen the traffic on 2nd Avenue down in downtown Issaquah, right outside of Issaquah High School. So to say that, that the high school is going to make traffic worse in the community, I would push back against that. It's going to um, diffuse the traffic over three locations that is currently in two locations. I'm not on the city council in either city. Those are decisions that they'll have to make. But I, I would anticipate there will be quite a bit of um, mitigation that will have to happen in terms of, like I say, road improvements and lights and things. The other thing we would do, obviously, um, when we ultimately have both the elementary and the high school built on the site, we'll stagger the time. Staff come earlier, so they're, not everybody will hit at the same time. So staff would arrive typically earlier, then um, students would start to arrive. I would strongly encourage students to ride the bus. That's the best, most um, 
sustainable system to use to keep as many cars off the roads as we can. You mentioned some road and traffic light reparations, but where would the funding for this come from? Is this coming directly from city taxpayers or from the district's funds? Well, every city is different, (laughs) I will say. Um, It depends on the municipality. Some cities do charge a lot more for what they call traffic mitigation. District pays that. Other cities don't. I mean, it's an interesting thing because they're all the same taxpayers. Um, Yeah, the district will likely have to, we, we have over the years spent millions and millions of dollars on traffic improvements in and around our schools. Long term, the city of Sammamish has plans to really change that piece of roadway to put sidewalks along the sides of it and, you know, slow the traffic down, make it more of like a city street. Our new school that's being built there, we're in partnership with the city. They're putting a, a, a light, you know, they're doing improvements. We do improvements. It's typically a, there's a partnership there that happens. Speaking of concerns expressed by our community, some are concerned that building new schools is going to negatively impact the environment, both in terms of deforestation and stormwater drainage. What would you say to those in our community who have expressed these concerns? Um, We have won national recognition in the Issaquah School District for our sustainability efforts. So having said that, there's no way you can build large infrastructure, educational infrastructure, or large projects of any kind that don't have some impact on the environment. I think we have to be realist about that. We've gone to great strides to um, build as green a buildings as we can. Um, We partner with Puget Sound Energy to put solar into our buildings where we can. We actually have a wind turbine at a couple of our buildings. Um, We will follow all municipal codes for what we are required to do in terms of a lot of times if you have to cut trees down you have to replace trees either on your site or you have to uh, put money into what's called a tree bank. We have actually used our property at times to put more trees in but we will meet every requirement we are required to meet in terms of um, tree retention or replacement managing our surface water. We want to be good neighbors. We do not want to pollute waterways. We do not, we are well aware of uh, the creeks that are around there and the efforts that people have made to improve the uh, salmon habitat. We support all of that. We and teach, we teach environmental um, stewardship in our schools. Our green teams are active. I think we are a net plus to the environment. Wow, it feels like the students in Issaquah School District have been working really hard on reducing their carbon footprint. You know, something else that was brought up is the idea of having students at new schools share sports facilities like football fields and tennis courts with either Skyline or Issaquah High, just to reduce the built-up area and keep things more natural. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's a total equity issue for my students. Why should the students at that high school, first of all, let's remember those facilities that we're talking about fields primarily here, the vast majority of that, the use of those facilities is for physical education classes. It is not for the soccer team or the football team or we remember, as you all know, you have physical education requirements that you have to meet to graduate. I have to offer 
physical education, we need to have those facilities. So the question becomes, do you really need a grandstand? The field will have to be there regardless. I would argue, yes, it is not feasible. People say, well, why don't you just go use the Skyline or Issaquah High? Well, aren't there students using those facilities? Do the kids at that school have to practice at nine o'clock at night because the other kids are using the facilities? Have you ever been in a fire drill where you had to evacuate your school on a rainy January day? It sure is nice to have a covered place to go and put the students. We, we understand, uh, particularly being next to a retirement community, that there are concerns about light and noise. New modern day lighting is, has way less light pollution or um, oriented the stadium away so the sound will travel towards 228. Um, we will limit some of the hours and stuff because we, we do want to be a good neighbor. But I absolutely, um, I don't view it as a sports stadium or complex. It's an educational facility that also serves the needs of my students and my community. We have a desperate need for more facilities for athletics and recreation in this community. Since most of the logistics seem to be figured out, when do you estimate that these schools will open and what phase of development is the district in right now? Well, we are in the process. We are in for site development permit from the city of Issaquah. Um, that's, it's quite a lengthy process, engineers and architects and my team going back and forth with city staff. Um, Ideally, we would like this school, we originally had stated we, would, we were shooting, I believe, for a fall of 22 open. I think it's probably more realistic that it would be a fall of 23. And I know there are many in my community, they want that school yesterday. They don't like the overcrowded schools their children are in. The bond to build that school passed by over 70% in our community. So it wasn't even close in 2016. I understand that people's attitudes have changed as the growth has happened. But I would also remind people, we didn't cause the growth. We don't permit all the houses that have been built in our community. Um, the cities do that. We're simply responding to growth that was permitted in the community a decade ago. We're behind the growth curve. It's kind of interesting to me that they'll permit Thousands, I've watched them permit thousands and thousands of homes, but when it comes to, well, people are going to live in them, they're going to have kids, they're going to want to go to school, somebody's got to build the schools, that's our job, and then you try to tell me not to do it? Well, I don't, that doesn't seem logical to me, but I do understand the concerns about growth. Like I said, I've been around this place for nearly six decades. We're going to try our darndest to be a good neighbor. I would love to be able to get the school open by the fall of 22 given that we don't have a site development permit and haven't started construction yet, that's probably gonna be hard to do, um, probably more likely the fall of 23. In September, Mayor Karen Moran wrote a strongly worded letter to your district, saying that the city of Sammamish does not support the building of the two schools at the Providence Heights location. Do you foresee Sammamish as being a blocker to getting these schools built? I understand uh, and I have empathy for our city managers and our city council members, and I've known many of them over the years. I understand their concerns about traffic and so forth. They're legitimate concerns. Of course, my problem is I have to house students for educational purposes. That's the mission of the Issaquah School District, and um, we need the appropriate facilities that are 
clean and safe to do that. And again, we didn't create the growth, we're just responding to it. And so I, I understand the concerns the city has. We will certainly and are always willing to work with them. Do I think they will stop us from building the schools? Frankly, I don't. We do have a right. We own the property. We do, we'll follow the laws. We'll do all the proper permitting. Speaking of the city of Sammamish, they have said that they want two entrances to the new school. You mentioned earlier that there's an emergency exit as required by fire and safety regulations, but is it feasible to utilize two entrances to the school? I, I do want to be clear. There is a second exit and entry out of that property. It's an emergency entry. You have to have that. Your fire and rescue would require that. So I just want to clarify, while we wouldn't use it on a daily basis, if we ever needed to evacuate the campus, there is a second exit and entrance out of the campus. And I should also clarify, you know that this school campus is in the city of Issaquah. It's not in the city of Sammamish. So the city of Sammamish does have, um, you know, we have to work with them on, on the frontage, I guess is what I would call it, the um, access points there. But the actual permitting and everything, that's the city of Issaquah. They'll be the ones that will determine the site plan and have to sign off on the building permits and all of that. It's still, we don't have a site development permit right now. We're still in the process of working on that with the city of Issaquah. But um, they will likely require traffic mitigation. I would anticipate there may be a light and there'll be turn lanes. And Mr. Thiele, as a final question, do you believe that the pros for building these schools heavily outweigh the cons for the community? Absolutely. Absolutely, I feel that way. I believe that these facilities will be beautiful facilities. They will serve this community, our students, and our, our adult population for generations to come. We need them. Um, and so absolutely do I believe that. I'm not saying there aren't negative impacts, but going back to my original statement, Remember, we have to put growth inside the line. That's what the law requires us to do. The law wants greater density. This school has structured parking. Um, the city of Issaquah wants us to build compact schools. We're building up. We're building vertical so that we'll use less land, creating greater density within these cities because that's what the Growth Management Act wants. As somebody who's been very, very critical of it at, and lobbied all the way down in Olympia, testified before Senate and House hearings on the problems about how it negatively impacts school construction and drives the cost way up for our taxpayers. But the overall philosophy of concentrating growth and protecting space, I'm a supporter of. But it means I have to build inside these communities. We need schools, we need these facilities. Thank you so much, Mr. Thiele, for coming to speak to us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to the community, particularly those that maybe don't read our e-newses and things like that. So that's why I take these kinds of interviews, because I do recognize that this is one more source for us to put our story out and, um, you know, happy to do it. So thank you for the opportunity. Wow, this is definitely a lot to take in. I didn't even know half of this information before doing research and listening to Kavya's experiences and Mr. Thiele's description of ISD's plans. 
You know, same here. Turns out there's a lot more that goes into building a new school than just making it look nice and appealing to students. As we had mentioned earlier, even with how crowded schools here in Sammamish are, the city government has expressed strong opposition to these schools being built at Providence Heights. The schools are technically within the city of Issaquah, but because the site uses 228th, the city of Sammamish decides whether to issue a right-of-way permit to use the road. Here is Councilmember Kent Treen, who spoke on November 17th at a council meeting on why he opposes the building of these schools challenge with this site. So the reality is that there's not going to be 140 homes on there, 100 homes, 90 homes, or 50 homes on there. There's going to be a facility on there. There's going to be a school on this site. That's the bottom line, if anything. So because it's already been rezoned and we didn't comment then. Probably should have been then, but we didn't. So the reality is there's going to be a school here. Here's the problem that is Squaw School District has. They're going to take a site and they're going to overbuild it. So they've added not only a high school, but an elementary school. So the impact, like, it's not environmentally sensitive at all. Like, even if they do a bunch of LID on this property, go to any school and look and see how many trees are left on that site. Mayor Karen Moran also expressed her gripes about the project. I think that we ought to stand up for the fact that if there were homes in that that were going in there, would we, we would require a second ingress egress be open. Not one just for emergencies, but open. Um, it isn't safe. It isn't safe for it to be open just in an emergency. Um, that's my big rub. It's been my big rub from the very beginning, is that it requires for safety a second ingress egress. It is something that, you know what, the not both signals have to go off at the same time. It is something they could meter. It is something they could fix. It is something that with a little bit of thought they could work through. But for the safety of that site and with the number of children that will be on that site and the number of cars that will be coming off of that site, it requires a second ingress egress. And the thought that the number of cars that will be coming from that site, the number of cars that will be pouring out on that road from an emergency, then I have to think about how many cars we will have leaving our city trying to get out of here and pouring off of that site should something happen during a school day. So those are two, two different issues that I have. We play these clips for you because unfortunately, Mayor Moran, as well as the city, declined multiple invitations to participate in this podcast episode and make their views more public and accessible to our community. We at Indie on Air do hope they'll consider to change their mind in the future and be willing to speak to local media like us on issues that matter to Sammamish residents. Here's what else you need to know this week. The Sammamish City Council has a meeting on Tuesday, February 2nd, starting at 6.30 p.m. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, the council chamber is closed to the public, but you can watch the council meeting at sammamish.us forward slash TV21 and submit public comment by emailing the city or dialing into the meeting. In the beginning of the month, the Sammamish City Council announced that the Parks, Recreation and Facilities Department are canceling all regular in-person special events through July 4th, such as the Lunar New Year celebration, 
Sammamish Earth Day, Rigapalooza, and 4th of July on the Plateau. Despite this social setback, be sure to keep an eye out for virtual events. Local school districts have been pleased to announce their plans on reintegrating students back into the buildings. For Lake Washington School District, grades kindergarten through first grade plan to return to in-person on February 18th. Asynchronous student learning will continue January 22nd through the 28th for kindergarten through first grade teacher planning and preparation. Grades two through five return to in-person in the form of a hybrid model, adjusted to start at the beginning to middle of March. For Eastside Catholic, on-campus classes will start on January 25th for middle school students and February 1st for high school students with a hybrid model. Finally, for Issaquah School District, kindergartners and first graders will go into in-person hybrid starting February 4th and grades two through three will be returning on February 25th, as long as COVID trends go down. This episode of Indie on Air was produced by Julia Gudis, Sarah Stoud, Mahek Sate, Aditi Alkunchwar, and Lin Yang. Our theme music was created by Ben Allwright. Special thanks to Kavya Yeramili and Ron Thiele for taking the time to talk to us. And that's this week's episode of Indie on Air. Don't forget to join us in two weeks to hear about the rather unpleasant side of social media. Until then, I'm Julia Gudis. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.